I'm sure most of you will agree that marriage isn't always easy. Marriage unites a, a man and a woman as two become one, and yet they still remain individuals with their very different personalities and attitudes and ideas. And yet, as God's elect, as God's people living as exiles in this world, the Apostle Peter knew that how we live out our lives as husbands and wives, if we live out God's plan for marriage, that was absolutely essential. And so in this next section of the letter that we're looking through, Peter's first letter, Peter called us to be committed to following Christ in our marriage. So we're going to read a passage, and then we're going to have a little think about it. So it's First, first Peter, chapter 3, and verse 1 to 7. You can either listen, uh, read along with us, or just listen as I'll just share with you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. When they see the, the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who used to put their, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I think we need to be really clear about what this passage is talking about. Although there might be some general principles that we can apply to all of our relationships, this passage first and foremost applies to the relationship between a husband and his wife. So when Peter said, wives be submissive to your husbands... He was not speaking about women being submissive to every man. Neither was he talking about how women should not be in positions of leadership in work or in politics or society. That is not what Peter was saying. So these, those people who use passages in the Bible like this to talk about the superiority of men, they're just misusing the Bible. They're just twisting it. They're distorting the truth. Instead, Peter was teaching how a wife should be submissive to or should be under the authority of her own husband. Now, Peter doesn't spell out in detail what this looks like. But this is the principle. 
But God wants wives to display a gentle and quiet spirit by accepting and submitting to the leadership role of her husband. But as we've seen before, this submission is only to be as far as that husband's leadership does not go against God's ultimate leadership. And that's really clear in this passage. Because when Paul, or sorry, when Peter was talking to Christian wives, excuse me, I'm going to have a cough. When Peter was talking to Christian wives who had unsaved husbands, so this is a Christian wife whose husband does not believe in Jesus, Peter encouraged the wives to behave in such a way so that their husbands may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. So when it comes to matters of faith and living for God, Peter's hope was that the Christian wives was not that the Christian wives should follow their unbelieving husbands, but that the unbelieving husband would actually learn to follow the example of the believing wife. And Peter actually believed that this quiet and gentle attitude of Christian women could have this powerful impact. Now I say could have because of course this does not believe, this does not mean that every unsaved husband will come to Christ if Christian women just live the way they should. That's not what Peter was saying. But he was teaching wives what to do in that very difficult situation. So instead of trying to nag or manipulate or badger these husbands into God's kingdom, Peter was telling them to focus on living out their Christian life. Yes, they can take opportunities to speak up and talk about Jesus if those opportunities come. We'll see that in chapter, in chapter 3 and verse 15 later on in following weeks. But before they take those opportunities, they need to focus on expressing the love and the humility and the gentleness of Christ in their everyday lives. That should be the priority. That is what they're called to do. And I think that's a a general principle that we can take out of this passage. That in our witness to our family, or to those who we are around in a general sense, in a regular sense, who we are is much more important than what we see. How we live every day for Jesus is much more important than trying to tell people constantly about Jesus. Our lives are the first and most powerful witness. But even saying all of that, I think many women, especially today, might struggle with this command to submit. In our, in our minds, it sounds like a little bit like male chauvinism. Just another example of men dominating and oppressing women. At the very least, maybe it sounds a little bit unnecessary 
or unfair or unhelpful. And yet, did you notice how Peter introduced this section? Verse 1, he says, in the same way. In the same way. This teaching here to wives is not given in isolation. Instead, it's given in the context of teaching Christians to accept and to submit to the authority in their, over their lives in many different aspects of their lives. So this isn't the only thing that Christians are called when only time that Christians are called to submit. So Peter has taught us verse uh, thirteen of chapter two. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Okay? That means our governments. That means our legal system. As we're thinking about it, we are called to submit to them and to follow our government's laws and to, and to keep the law and to do what is right in, in this nation. Last time, we read about those who were held captive as slaves... In verse 18 of chapter 2, slaves submit to your masters with all respect. Even when it includes incredible suffering. And then later in this letter, Peter wrote, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And similar kind of teaching is found in many different places throughout the New Testament. So in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells churches to obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And then the Apostle Paul, he even wrote that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As a call to serve one another and to consider each other's needs before our own. So although we understand why this command to wives is controversial and is maybe kind of just challenging for for many people to listen to today, as Christians, we can see there are lots of different situations that we are called to submit, men and women. And so wives, this is just one of the areas that they are called to submit to the authority of others. Why? Why should wives submit to their husbands? Well, it's not because men are superior to women. And neither is it because men are more natural leaders than women. Rather, it's simply because this is God's design for marriage. This is about following God's plan for our lives. This is what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 11. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. It's the principle of of headship in the Bible. Okay, And this verse is really helpful when we start to think about it, because it shows us that this headship is not about superiority. It's not about being better than, or higher than. It's simply about accepting different roles. This is really clear because God the Son and God the Father 
are completely equal in person and power and value. We know that, don't we? And yet they function differently. It was God the Father who took the leadership role in sending his Son to this world. And it was God the Son who willingly submitted to his Father's leadership. So in his ministry, Jesus said things like this. My food is is to do the will of who sent me, of him who sent me, and to finish his work. This is my core, is just to do what God the Father told me to do. And he said that about his teaching as well. He said this in John chapter 12. I do not speak, I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Throughout his whole ministry, Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of this world, the one who is equal with the Father, was submitting to the leadership of his Father. I think the the clearest and most powerful example of this is found in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup, the suffering from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So God has designed husbands to reflect his leadership by being the leader of of his home. And we'll see in this next section what that looks like. But God has designed wives to reflect Christ by accepting and submitting to the leadership of her husband. So both Wife and husband are called to reflect God. But one more God the Father in his leadership role and the other God the Son in the submission role. And if that's how God has designed marriage, then that's how marriage works best. Because God's plan, we believe, is good and pleasing and perfect. So this is also how part of a how this is also part of how a wife will live as servants of God. This is how part of a wife will serve God and honour God. Peter illustrated this by looking to the godly women of the past, especially to Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Now, that doesn't mean that Abraham just ruled over Sarah in a complete sense. The word master here is different from the slave masters that we were thinking about last week. Rather than it's the word kairos, or lord with a a small l, not a capital L, meaning God, but small l, which was a term of polite address, like sir. So it's just an expression of of her respect and honour for her husband. So Sarah wasn't a slave to Abraham. If you've ever read the story of Abraham and Sarah, you'll see that. Sarah was not silent. She spoke up. She asked questions. She even made suggestions. And Abraham agreed to some of her suggestions, for good or for bad. But Sarah respected and accepted her husband's leadership in their marriage. Even although Abraham was far less than a perfect husband. They made some big mistakes 
in that, 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 that way. Sarah was willing to trust in God rather than it says here, give way to fear. Be afraid of submitting to her husband and said she trusted in God and accepted this role in her marriage that God gave her. And this is what Peter says makes, made these holy women of the past beautiful. And so he says in verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Now again, we need to be clear about this. I don't think this means that it is sinful for a woman to style her hair, wear jewellery or have some nice clothes. I don't think that's what it means. God is not against outward beauty. He's not. Remember going back to the Garden of Eden when, if you were here and we were looking at the early, early chapters of Genesis? Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. God planted this, this Garden of Eden and planted trees there, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Trees that were pleasing to the eye, trees that were beautiful as well as functional. So God isn't against beauty. But Peter is saying here that God isn't impressed by a new hairstyle or a new set of clothes. God doesn't get excited about us when we get nice clothes and put them on the outside. His priority is not how good we look in the mirror. Instead, God is looking deeper than that. To see the kind of person we really are. Remember about God telling Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outside and they they gauge somebody's value and worth from how they look on the outside, but God looks deeper and he sees what we're really like inside. And so in a world that's absolutely obsessed By outward beauty. This spends a fortune on clothing, on jewellery, on beauty products, on cosmetic surgery. God wants us, as his people, to be counterculture. To stand against the pressures of this world and instead focus on inner beauty. The kind of beauty that should be of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. So this is what God values. This is what God sees as beautiful. It is someone who is gentle and someone who is quiet. Someone who doesn't demand what they want. Who doesn't argue and fight just for what they like. Someone who considers others rather than just themselves. It is someone who's even willing to set aside their rights and their interests for the benefits of others. But let's be clear about this. This attitude... This quiet and gentle attitude is beautiful in a wife. Not because it is the ladylike thing to do. 
That's not what Peter's saying here. But he is saying it's the Christ-like thing to do. That's why God values it. Because it's how we become more and more like Christ. This is what Paul writes in in Philippians chapter 2. Let me just read this little passage to you. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than themselves, yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Peter called Christian wives here to submit to their husbands, not because they were inferior to their husbands, but because he wanted these women to follow Jesus in their marriage. And that's why it was going to be honouring to God. But guys, in case you're all sitting there thinking, oh yeah, Andrew, tell all these women this is how they're supposed to be doing. There's a balance of scripture, isn't there? Peter also wanted husbands to follow Jesus in their marriage. So verse 7 Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. That little phrase, be considerate, it means live according to knowledge. Live according to knowledge. So husbands are supposed to understand their wives, consider her needs, be aware of her feelings and emotions and act accordingly to them. Now, I've only been married for 21 years, so I'm able to say, that's tough. Okay? We're only learning. Guys, we're only learning about this, aren't we? We're only learners. I'm sure, I know some of you have been married for much longer, but I'm sure you've got, still got your L plates up. It's not easy for us to understand our wives, is it? It's not easy to recognise all the time what upsets them or what blesses them. And it's certainly not easy to always act on that knowledge. But this is our calling, guys. If we want to see ourselves, as the Bible describes us, as the head of our households, as the leader in our marriage, then we are called to seek to get to know our wives more and more each day so that we can effectively serve them. Because in the Bible, leadership is always servant leadership. So we can nurture them. So we can love them. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. So that's what it means to be considerate. To consider their needs and act accordingly. But Peter also wrote that we should treat them with respect. Husbands, treat your wives with respect. This word respect means to honour, to value, to treat as someone of great worth. Husbands are to treat their wives as someone who is extremely precious to them. 
And I think this is such an important balance for us to get, to balance what Peter said to, to the wives here. Yes, the wives are to submit to their husbands, but that doesn't mean the husbands can act as if they're, they're better or higher or in a more important position than their wives. Instead, those husbands are to speak and to act in such a way to daily demonstrate that they treasure their wives. That's the idea here. That's what it means to treat them with respect. No pressure there, guys, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be reminded about this for, the, for months afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely, Claire, thank you. But Peter also believed that this teaching is so important because wives he described as the weaker partner. Verse 7. Again, we need to be really clear about what this means, okay? So before you get angry with me, I never wrote this, but I think it's really true. This does not mean that women are intellectually or emotionally or spiritually weaker than their husbands. Or that they are less able to handle pain or less able to work hard. Having been with Lorna through her five, or five labours, two labours, Two labours, I'm not going to claim that I can handle pain better than her. Okay? That's not the case. But I think Peter is just stating a fact here. A physical fact. In general, hear that word, in general, men are physically bigger and heavier and stronger than women. That doesn't mean that every man is stronger than every woman. Okay? Ladies, please don't come up and, and, and challenge me to an arm wrestle to pr- disprove this point. I'm not saying that at all. There are some incredibly strong women. But it's a general rule. And we can see that in lots of ways. One of the evidences for this is just looking at sporting world records. The records for men are always going to be a little bit faster and longer and heavier and whatever than the women's world records. If men and women competed in every sport together, it would always be the men who would win. In most of those. Just because of how they're built. It's not because of anything else, but it's just our physiology. It's just the way they were were designed. But there's another evidence for this. That's much more sobering for us guys. That's the, the, the statistics on domestic abuse. Yes, some men are attacked and abused by their, by their wives. No names, thank you. But in general, in general, women in this world are much more in danger of being abused by men. I don't know if you read any news this week. Women's Aid, they made a report on their previous year's work. And they said that they received a shocking 19,000 disclosures of domestic abuse against women and kids last year. In one year. 19,000 women and kids being abused by the men in their lives. And it's that power, that strength, that Peter is challenging these Christian men to reject. Instead of using their role as leaders and, and their strength as men to control and to dominate and to attack or to abuse 
Husbands are supposed to use their role and strength to care for, to honour, to serve, and to protect. That's what Peter was talking about. So guys, it's a sobering reminder that we need to use our strength for the benefit of our wives, not for our own good. And that's because Peter said that the wives are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. The heirs with you of the gracious gracious gift of life. Now I don't think it's quite clear what Peter meant by this. If, If Peter was talking here to Christian husbands whose wives were unbelievers then this this means that these Christian husbands should care for their wives because they both have received the same gift of life as human beings made in the image of God. So back in Genesis again, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As male and female, we are equally made in the image of God. So equally at the pinnacle of God's creation. Equally precious in God's sight. But then if Peter was talking to Christian husbands whose wives were also believers, then this could mean that they should care for their wives because they have both received the same gift of salvation. And so that they are equally children of God. So Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, 28, there's neither Greek, Jew nor Greek, Slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. That our unity, our equality, is something that's clearly taught in Scripture. Peter believed that the fact of the equality of the men and women should impact how these men treat their wives. But more than that, Husbands should care for their wives, not just because they're equal, but because these husbands are following Christ. Peter introduced what he said to the husbands by that very same phrase that we saw in verse 1 of chapter 3 about the wives. He says, in the same way, verse 7. In the same way as wives are called to live out their commitment to Jesus in their marriage by submitting to their husbands... So husbands are called in the same way to live out their commitment to Jesus by caring for their wives. That's why Peter said here that husbands should care for their wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, how can we expect to experience intimacy with God and power in prayer if we are living against in rebellion against God's plan and purpose for our lives in abusing our wives. How we treat our wives is intrinsically a part of how we're living for Jesus. In fact, I believe that at home is where we start to live for Jesus. And that is why as husbands we're called to put into practice this, this teaching. Even, even when it costs us everything. Because Jesus sets the bar, or God sets the bar incredibly high for us husbands. Listen to this. Some of the most challenging verses for a husband in the Bible, I think. Husbands, 
this is Ephesians chapter 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is our example of what a husband should look like. Nothing less than Jesus on the cross. That's what we're called to, guys. So marriage can be tough. But if we're married, or if we would like to be married one day, then this is what it means to follow Jesus in it. It means that wives willingly accept and submit to the leadership role of their husbands, just as Christ willingly submitted to his Father, even when it meant the cross. And it means that husbands love and care for their wives, just as Christ loved the church, even when it meant the cross. Do you see what it's all about? Following Jesus in our marriage means that we walk in this attitude of submission and love. The submission and the love that he powerfully demonstrated on the cross. The Christian life is centered on the cross of Jesus. And guys, this isn't just about setting a standard and saying, okay, go and do it. This is also telling us how we can do it. So if we struggle with this, if we know deep down that we get this wrong so many times, then this is the answer of what we need to do. It's not about telling ourselves how terrible we are. It's not about heaping guilt or condemnation on us. It's not just about rolling our sleeves up and trying harder. It's about going back to the cross. Going back to Jesus and allowing Him and His love and His power and His grace to transform our hearts and to draw us to follow Jesus in our marriages.